This is episode 61 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is the co-founder of the Superfan Company, Kim Kaup. Let's get it started. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Really excited to have you here for episode 61. I hope everyone's having an awesome summer. Uh, it's really hot here in North Carolina. Hopefully it's a little more comfortable where you guys are at, but no complaints. I'd rather the warm weather than the cold, so hopefully it stays around for a while. Um, I got an awesome guest today. Many of you may know the guest, Kim Kalp. Uh, for those that don't, um, she is the co-founder of the Superfan Company. Um, basically, they create awesome engagement um, and, and really interact from an event, a sports team, an artist with their super fans in a different way than really has been done before. And the company started as Zine Pack, and it's transitioned into the Superfan Company as it stands today. Um, they were also featured on Shark Tank, um, ended up getting a deal with uh, Robert and Lori, and she talks through that a little bit today. We go into the Shark Tank route because um, I was definitely intrigued to learn a little bit more about that experience. But Kim is an awesome gal. I've been following her for several years online. She has her Coffee with Kim series. Uh, many of you may know her from, but I had the opportunity of meeting her in person um, at the Next Gen Summit, um, gosh, early June. And what was really neat about that experience is not only did she give a great uh, talk about kind of creating your own PR engine, but she stood for probably an hour, hour and a half after she was done speaking, just talking with people. Anyone that wanted to stand in line and ask questions and what have you, um, she stood there and and answered them. So really appreciate that and uh, excited to have her on here to dive a little bit deeper into her journey. So you guys can find Kim online, um, her website, kimkaup.com. That's the last name is spelled K-A-U-P-E, or you can go to the superfancompany.com. Like I said, she's out there on LinkedIn a lot, Um, probably a great place to uh, follow her as well. So really, really excited to get you guys into this episode. So without further ado, here's my chat with Kim Kaup. Let's get it started. Hey, Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, well, I'm excited to to chat with you. I know, uh, you know, we met in person for the first time, gosh, about a month ago at the uh, Next Gen Summit, and I've been following your content for a while. So, really excited to learn more about your journey and kind of share some of those uh, the nitty gritty details, if you will, of you know, kind of you know where you are and, and where you've come from. Um, and, and that's kind of one of where I'd start. I um, when I was doing some research online and I, and I saw something you had said. And it kind of got me thinking about, you know, maybe how your upbringing was and, and, and where you kind of came from, because you, you said you're an accidental entrepreneur. And I don't know <laughs> if that's being fair to yourself or not, but what um, can, you, can you start us off kind of earlier on in your life, you know, kind of growing up, uh, you know, childhood into adolescence? Like what, what did you kind of when someone said, hey, Kim, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was that answer back then? Like, tell me about a little bit about your life back in those days. Yeah, I always wanted to work at a magazine. I I loved magazines growing up, you know, when I was small, reading things like Seventeen and Teen Beat and Bop and Tiger Beat and all of these, you know, really silly teenage girl magazines. I just, I fell in love with them. And as I got older, that love never really stopped. It just transformed into loving 
magazines like Glamour and Vogue and Vanity Fair. And to this day, I still get magazines in the mail. It <laughs> probably drives people crazy, but I just, I love magazines still to this day, even with iPads and uh, online digital magazines. I just, I love the feeling of a magazine in your hand and going through the pages. And so I knew when I was growing up that I really desperately wanted to work at a magazine. And so I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because it was not as if growing up that entrepreneurship was ever in my realm of vision. You know, I never was the one who was selling candy on the back of the bus or opening up my own lemonade stand or having a lawn mowing conglomerate on my block, you know, of all my neighbors. I was never that person. If anything, I was the one buying the lemonade from the kid who was super entrepreneurial and had a lemonade stand. I was, I was not the, I was not the one selling. I was the one buying. And so it, you know, entrepreneurship is really something that kind of hit hit me like a freight train. It was not something that I was chasing. It was not something that I ever thought I would do. I always thought I would work in corporate America. I always thought I would work at magazines. So when I graduated from the University of Florida in 2008, uh, magazines was ultimately where I wanted to end up. And I had done all my internships at publications. So that is what ultimately landed me in New York working for Condé Nast, who at the time was one of the three largest publishers. Now, Sadly, some of the publishers have gone away or gotten bought, but at the time, Condé Nast was one of the big ones. And so I moved up to New York after college to work at a magazine. And where where did you want to go when you say work for a magazine? Did you know that you want to go on the side of like, you know, helping design it, write articles? Like where where was your kind of, I guess, passion in that that realm? Yeah, so there are two sides to magazine publishing. The first is the editorial side. So that's everyone who's writing the articles, that's the photographers, that's the Anna Wintour side, if you will, from Double Wears Prada. They're the ones setting all the fashion trends and the beauty trends. And then the other side is the business side. So they're the ones doing all the advertising sales and the events and the marketing that's around the publication. And I knew that I really wanted to be on the business side, specifically in the marketing and events side. That was something that really drew me and and something that I dove headfirst into. And so when I first got my job in publications, that's the side I was on. I was on the business side working on the marketing and events team for Brides Magazine at Condé Nast for about two and a half years once I graduated college. Did you see any of those trends or was there any talk back in, I guess, in those days? It's not like it was 50 years ago, like 10, <laughs> but in terms of seeing the trend of maybe magazines losing some of the luster, it was, was that at all prevalent back in, at that time? Yeah, I mean, I, I joked that when I graduated college, it was the most depressing year. You know, I graduated in 2008. Uh, arguably the height of the recession. You know, that was the year that Bear Stearns went under, that the banks were getting bailed out. I mean, it was really hard to find a job just in general. And it was extra hard to find a job in any sort of marketing or creative field because when you start to cut positions and things don't tend to do as well, the first thing that starts getting cut is the marketing team and the creative team because people look at that line item and say, well, this is frivolous or this isn't actually have, you know, helping my bottom line. So we have to cut this team in half. So absolutely, that was something that was going on. People were consuming less entertainment and and, you know, again, when times for the American people get hard, also the first thing that people start to do is stop 
spending on things that they deem not necessary, like magazines, like movies, like toys, anything that, you know, isn't a bare necessity. When we fall out of recession and hard times, people stop purchasing. And you combine that with the ever-growing popularity of digital and yeah, it was sort of a recipe of <laughs> a recipe of interesting times. But it was it was great because when I worked at the magazine, I worked there from 2008 to 2010. It was a wonderful time to see their transition to digital and to see how they were formatting the magazine at the time for the very newly introduced iPad and what that was going to look like. And I know when I was there, we created our first iPhone app, which is so funny because now I feel like iPhone apps are a dime a dozen and everyone does their own app. But at the time, I can remember it being a really special thing that Connie Nass was investing all of this money, you know, at the time to create this app because that was back in the days where it cost a ton to develop your own app. They didn't have all these awesome uh, kind of do-it-yourself builders that they have now. So it was a, it was an interesting time to be in publications for sure. So can you share a little bit? I'm curious about your, we'll call it serendipitous because that's, you know, in hindsight, we can look back at meeting Brittany and, and when that, when you first met her, how, how that kind of process, you know, how that worked, how, did you guys work closely together? How, how was that old story? Yeah, you know, very much, very much accidental entrepreneur. I, you know, had a great time at Condé Nast. After about two and a half years, I decided I was ready for my next challenge. Uh, you know, word to the wise, I was 20 four at the time and a friend of a friend had this position as an ad agency. I had seen the show Mad Men. I thought we were all going to drink scotch at four o'clock. I was like, that sounds like a really cool place to work. And that would be a great, that would be a great thing, right? Right. It kind of sounds like the perfect job. I was like, oh, those places sound awesome. Um, I, I didn't do my research, which I now tell everyone, whether you're young or old or it's your first job or your 10th job to do your research uh, when you're interviewing somewhere just as they are interviewing you you should be interviewing them to see if it's a fit for you you know it's a two-way street when it comes to interviewing and I definitely didn't do my homework and I definitely didn't do a good job interviewing because I landed at this new job at this ad agency and honestly by the sixth or seventh day I realized I absolutely hated it it wasn't a fit for me. I can remember calling my mom and crying, like I've made a terrible mistake and, you know, I actually don't really like it here. And, you know, and I had no one to blame but myself, right? You know, I hadn't done my homework and I, I made my bed and now I was lying in it. I was, <laughs> I got the job and I was there and I was, I said to myself, oh no, I made a terrible mistake. And again, that serendipity sort of happened. Brittany was sitting next to me at the ad agency and she could see how miserable I was and how much I was really quite over it, even though I had just started. And I had said to her one day, you know, I think I'm going to call my old boss at Connie Nast and grovel you know, which sounds very exciting, <laughs> grovel and ask for my old job back because I just, I made a terrible mistake. And she said, well, hold on, <laughs> you know, before you start calling Connie Nast and groveling, 
you know, let's go out for a drink. Let's go to a bar around the corner. And I honestly thought she was going to try to convince me to stay at the agency. But instead, she said, you know, I know you want to leave. And I've been kind of wanting to leave, too. And I've been toying around with this idea. And I think you'd make a great co-founder. You have, you know, all the background that I need. And I was thinking to myself, I just met you. (laughs) You don't even know me. Um, You know, I've only known you for, you know, less than a month. Uh, but lo and behold, here we are. It, it definitely was a risk that when I jumped, I ended up making the right choice. But it, again, that entrepreneurship bug was something that sort of was was an accidental. Here I am in this situation, and not something that I went searching out after. So I'm curious because a lot of folks go through this, and, and this is maybe a, maybe a good point to um, stop at and take a pause. When you sat with Brittany and you guys had that that coffee or that drink and you kind of left that day and went home that night and kind of were thinking about what was going through your mind? Like, were you like, is this girl crazy? Like, she wants me to quit my job and do like, tell me what was going through. I'm I'm just really curious about that, that moment. Oh, absolutely insane. Um, But, you know, for me, I think it's really hard for people who are at a job that they like or even a job that they are excited about to the thought of leaving is really scary because they might say, well, you know, I'm at this doctor's office and I really like this practice and I really like the people that I work with. So going off and starting my own practice is really scary because I'm leaving these people that I like and I'm leaving, you know, this situation that I feel comfortable with. I was in a situation that was really quite unique. You know, I had only been at this ad agency for about maybe two weeks at that point. And so I didn't have a strong relationship with anyone there. It wasn't like I felt as if, oh, I'm leaving these people that I care so much about. And number two, I was really quite miserable. <laughs> so the other option for me was I knew that I couldn't stay there. That that was a given. I knew in my heart of hearts that it was not a place that I was going to be successful. It was not the type of culture that I wanted to work in. So really, in my eyes, my two options were number one grovel to my old boss, which, as you know, does not sound fun or exciting or sexy, (laughs) you know, groveling to someone and saying, I made this mistake. I, you know, broke up with you and now take me back. (laughs) That's not very fun. Um, So that was option number one. And option number two was go out and find a new job. Uh, that was really the two options that I was looking at. So when Brittany, you know, again, it's a very unique time, approached me with this idea, I feel that I was in a position to look at it as kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, what the heck? Because, you know, option A was grovel. Option B was get a new job, whether that was at a different company or in the interim, go work at Starbucks or something, you know, just I had to make money because I had rent to pay. So it was like, go get a job somewhere else. Or option C, start this company with this girl I just met. Statistically, it will fail because statistically, you know, 92% of startups fail. So out of these three options, grovel, work some interim job, or you know, be a co-founder of a company that in three months will statistically fail um, was a really unique choice that I was at. And also, I like to remind people, you know, I was 25 years old at the time. I did not have a husband. I did not have a mortgage. I did not have 
credit card debt. I had a scholarship for college, so I did not have college debt following me around. I, you know, was in this unique position that if there was ever a time to take a risk, I didn't have anything following me around um, to prevent me from doing that. Whereas, again, if you using the analogy of the doctor's office, you know, if you've worked at a doctor's office for years and you're happy there and you like the partners and you like everybody you work with and, you know, you have two kids and your spouse and a mortgage payment, yeah, it's really freaking scary when someone says, oh, why don't you go start your own practice? You know, you're sitting there going, well, I have two kids that I have to feed and a spouse and a payment and, you know, I like where I'm at. I think that's a much more scary choice than where I was at, which was 25, no one relying on me, you know, very privileged and fortunate enough not to have debt and, you know, was going to find a new job anyways. So I like to paint that picture because I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, what a what a crazy choice and if you really i think kind of look at the facts i think it's much more brave when people leave a successful law firm or doctor's office or somewhere that they really enjoy and strike out on their own versus what i did which was oh my god i've been here for two weeks and i have to leave <laughs> well that's yeah that's a fair point and i appreciate you kind of going into that Cause, but at the end of the day right you you had to make that choice, right? Because at the end of the day, you said you still had to pay rent. <laughs> so you still had to eat, you still had to figure out like, so what did those totally. first, what did those first few weeks or, or month or two look like? Did, did she have anything even starting with this idea herself? Or was this fresh for both of y'all? Yeah, so we did two really interesting things that I, I highly recommend to anybody who's just starting out. One is, and I really hope people hear me when I say this, we did not quit our corporate jobs. I'll just say that again. We did not quit our corporate jobs. I think right now, for some reason, there is this fascination with, I'm going to drop out of college, or I'm going to quit my job and put 100% of my energy into my startup. I don't understand that. That is a foreign concept to me. Like, good for you. Maybe you have a trust fund. I, I don't know how you eat or like, I just don't understand that because to me, you know, if you, if you quit your corporate job, then that paycheck every two weeks stops. And that to me, the minute your paycheck stops or your health insurance stops, you know, God forbid you break your leg, you know, that turns into what I like to call a ticking time bomb. Because everything in your savings account or your checking account, that becomes like a countdown. And instead of like happy new year countdown, it's like you're broke <laughs> countdown. Like the minute that timer starts, the numbers just start going down and down and down. So we kept our corporate jobs for as long as humanly possible. You know, we were working on the nights and weekends, you know, the quote unquote side hustle, if you will. And we not only waited as long as possible to quit our jobs, you know, we staggered quitting. You know, at the time, Brittany was married. So she was a two-income household. And so, you know, she her rent was going to be paid because her husband wasn't going to let their <laughs> apartment not get paid. Um, so, you know, she was able to quit first. And for me, you know, I joke, but I was living with my two best friends at the time. And I can remember coming home and being like, guys, you know, if I quit my job and I can't pay rent, you'll support me, right? Totally kidding. Because uh, of course, they rolled their eyes and laughed at me and said, 
you're crazy. Like we're not sponsoring you to live in New York city. We love you as a friend, but <laughs> you have to pay your third of the rent. And so we waited as long as possible to quit our job. So I, I recommend that for anybody who's thinking about a startup is to do it on nights and weekends for as long as humanly possible. I think that was a really important first step. And number two, you know, a practice that I took really seriously is when I finally got to the point that said, okay, I think I'm going to have to quit the corporate gig and, and do this full time. I sat down and did a really realistic assessment of where was my savings account? How much money did I have in my checking account? A really accurate, you know, Excel sheet breakdown of how much did my rent cost? How much was my COBRA health insurance going to cost? How much was, you know, and really cutting down on no more boozy brunches with my friends and no more Friday night movie nights, you know, with, with my group of college friends because I had to cut down on spending and really got an accurate assessment of what my burn was going to be per month. Like how much money was I actually going to burn through? And so I knew at that point, once I quit my job, I had about three months worth of savings that I had saved up from my job at Condé Nast and that I had saved up from this corporate job, which is another thing that I think is really important and that my parents were, you know, very thankfully able to instill in me, which is if you are spending 100% of your paycheck, that's a huge problem. You know, whether it's 10% or 5%, whatever you can afford, some percentage of your paycheck needs to automatically go in your savings account you know, the sort of save it for a rainy day fund. And this startup was my rainy day. And so I knew I had three months to start making money at this startup before, you know, again, that ticking time bomb was going to hit zero. And I wasn't going to be able to pay my rent. And I wasn't going to be able to pay my health insurance. So I think doing those two things, when I was thinking about starting and, and really kind of digging into entrepreneurship in a meaningful way, were extremely important and I recommend it to anyone. No, that's great. That's great advice. I appreciate you sharing that. And again, there's, there's different ways for different people. And I think you, you took that way that was like, Hey, this is, this doesn't get me out on the street in New York. Like I actually can, you know, I can function uh, for a little bit. And, and again, I think it was smart too, is understanding, Hey, is the business going to be successful? How, how early on did you guys know, Hey, we got something here. This could be really cool. Again, well, yeah, when we were working those nights and weekends, we started to talk to some different people and said, you know, the sort of, I, I kind of liken it to when you're in middle school or elementary school and you have a friend that likes a boy or likes a girl and you sit down in the cafeteria and you go up to that person and you say, like, if I were to tell you Emily liked you, you know, would you ask her to the dance? And that person says yes. And then you run over to Emily and it's like, if I told you that Brandon liked you, like, would you guys go out? And you used to have friends that would kind of <laughs> set you up um, on these little, uh, little cahoots. You know, at the time when we were working on nights and weekends, we were going up to players that we thought might be interested or and going up to people that we might might be potential clients. And, you know, whether it was taking them to lunch or to dinner or just having phone conversations saying, if we were to start this, if this were something that existed, would you be interested? Like, would you think that that was an interesting thing? Would you maybe consider it? And getting that feedback of people saying, yeah, you know, if this 
non-existent thing existed, I would be super interested in it. So we had already done a little bit of homework and we also ran on an agency model. And I think that's really important as well, because when you run on an agency model, that's you know, for anyone who doesn't understand what that means, that essentially means that you're making money before you start on a project. So using a silly example, but like a coffee mug. If I know that the coffee mug costs me a dollar, I'm going to sell it to you for, let's call it a dollar fifty. And I know I'm going to make those 50 cents and you know that you're going to buy a coffee mug. If I know that the coffee mug costs a dollar and you tell me that you can only pay 75 cents, well, I'm not going to sell you the coffee mug because I would lose 25 cents on that deal. That would not be good. And so because we ran on this agency model, we knew that if we could get a client to sign off on that $1.50 coffee mug, that we were already going to make money. And I think that's different than a lot of other startups because when they start, they might be opening a bakery or they might be building an app or they might be creating a clothing line. And all of those businesses require upfront cash. They require to you to invest in the cake, cupcake mix and all the machinery and the storefront or the clothing line, all the materials and the thread and in the app, all the programmers and UX designers that you're gonna to need to build it. And then once all of those expenses are paid out, then you can actually launch and make money. You know, it's not until the bakery doors open that you actually make money selling cupcakes. And the difference for us in starting this agency model was really the only upfront costs we had were our computers and our cell phones and our brains. You know, those were the really the only things that we need. We weren't holding inventory. We weren't opening a storefront. We weren't building an app and needing programmers. So again, we also had a very unique startup in that we didn't have a lot of upfront costs, which a lot of startups, they need, whether it's raising capital or a loan or something, they need upfront cash. And we were fortunate enough to not need upfront cash when we started. Now, if I, if I recall correctly, you got a pretty big uh, a pretty big department store to be a, to to kind of help you guys like a, in terms of a client right with Walmart if that's right early on um t- t- can you tell us about that story how that came about how did you guys get in there yeah i think it's a really unique story and again something that i i tell people all the time um and to to give a little example i was meeting with someone last week and they were a recent college grad and you know they were taking the summer to figure out where they wanted to work and they wanted to work in this uh, one specific industry and fortunate for them they had done some internships in that industry and when i had coffee with them i said oh my gosh well great news you know you've done two years of internships in this industry can you call your old boss uh at the internship and one see if they have any openings but two maybe they know of colleagues also in this industry who might be needing some help And the person looked at me like I had four eyes and they said, well, that would be weird. And I said, well, why you interned for them last summer? Like that, that's an easy, that's low hanging fruit. And they said, well, I haven't talked to them since last summer. And I said, well, what? And they said, yeah, you know, my last day was whatever, August 31st. And that was the last day of my internship. And that's when I went back to college and I shook their hand and waved goodbye and haven't seen or spoken to them since. And I was shocked because that's such an opportunity. You know, I always tell people when you leave, whether it's an internship or a job, 
you need to leave the job, don't leave the people. Don't leave the people. Those relationships you need to keep. And it's never been easier now with LinkedIn, with Instagram, with Twitter, with email, with text. You know, keep in touch with those people because even though you might think, oh, I'm leaving my job at the ice cream store. Oh, I'm leaving my job, you know, my internship in medical sales. You never know in a year from now, two years from now, if you're going to need to call those people and you're going to need advice or a favor or help. And so it's going to be much easier to ask for that advice, favor, or help if you've kept up those relations than if you've just spent all this time planting the seed and tilling the soil and sun and water and then just leaving this beautiful plant to wilt and die. Like keep watering the plant. And we got that first Walmart deal really because Brittany, my co-founder, had done a brilliant job of keeping that plant watered. You know, she had worked at a record label for about five and a half years before she worked at the ad agency. And even though she had been at the ad agency for two years at that point, she kept all of those relationships. She kept all those relationships with the record label. She, at the time when she was working at the record label, her job was to deal with all of the retailers for the record label. So she kept those relationships with at the time, Walmart and Target and Best Buy, and she kept in touch with those people, even though she had left her record label job, even though she was working at an ad agency, which had nothing to do with the music business and had nothing to do with retail. But she kept them because she knew, you know, I spent this time growing this plant, I'm not going to let it die. And so we were lucky that when we started, you know, she could go back to all those same people and they didn't look at her like she had four eyes. You know, it wasn't like she hadn't talked to these people in two years. She had talked to them once every two months, whether it was a simple happy birthday or congrats on the job promotion, or again, you know, LinkedIn has never made it easier to stay up to date on what people are doing. But it's really a lesson that we would have never gotten into Walmart and never had gotten that early success had Brittany not kept up those relationships, even when she didn't need to at the time. And, you know, so obviously the Walmart deal then propelled you, you know, obviously in terms of revenue and those type of things, you guys did pretty well early on. If I recall with some of the research I did, can you talk a little bit, and I'm not sure how much you can share behind the scenes, but I got to ask about Shark Tank if I can. Yeah, yeah, of course. I just want to, I'm just curious about that because obviously, you know, I've watched the show for many years and those type of things. Um, can you talk about that? just the experience in general? Cause obviously, and, and I'm curious what you can share. Cause obviously you guys got a deal with Lori and Robert. Um, talk about just that experience of one going into the tank and then coming out of it. What did you learn from that experience? How, how, how did that help really propel things going forward? Whatever you're able to share or not, I'm not sure if some things are private. So that's why I say it that way. <laughs> no, absolutely. It was a, it was a wonderful experience. You know, we had a, a very unique experience with the show, which, you know, I'm very thankful for, but essentially uh, it, again, very much along my lines of accidental entrepreneur, I joke that it was like we stumbled upon the show um, because the producers had called us to, you know, potentially be featured and to be on the show. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say, you know, before they called, I had never seen the show. 
uh, I don't watch a ton of TV and I don't watch a ton of reality TV. So I did not know what the show was. Uh, I was not familiar with it. Uh, my co-founder at the time, luckily, she had seen some episodes and, and liked the show. So when the producers called and said, hey, you know, we were, you know, we were thinking of you guys and we saw you featured in Inc. Magazine and would you be interested? And uh, it sort of tumbled from there. We made a video for them and submitted it you know, ended up getting accepted. And it's interesting because the, what you see on the show, I, I tell people that it's both real and fake at the same time. You know, us walking down and those doors opening and seeing the sharks for the first time, that is very real. You know, it's not as if we're hanging out with Mark Cuban backstage eating a bagel. You know, that is the first time that you're seeing them when you're walking out and those doors open. But, you know, it is a little bit of movie magic in that we were in the tank for probably a little over an hour. And obviously that is cut and distilled into a seven and a half minute segment. So, you know, you're seeing a, a highlight reel, if you will, of probably what was an hour and 15, hour and a half minute discussion. So you're really only seeing a, a small glimpse of it. And to your point, we did a deal on the show with Robert and Lori, which was, they're wonderful, awesome people. Uh, but however, we did not go through with the deal in real life. You know, after the show, when you go back and the lawyers are involved and you're getting into the nitty gritty details, uh, I joke with people all the time that it's very much like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette you know, how many of those people on the show actually get married, you know, they might propose at the end of the, at the season, but how many of them are actually getting married and living happily ever after? Probably just a fraction, if that. Uh, and so when you see deals go through on the show, a little bit of, you know, movie magic here, I would say in real life from the, from the research and data that I've seen, about 11% of those deals actually go through in real life. So while there might be a lot of engagements, only 11% of those companies are actually walking down the aisle and getting married to the sharks. So we were one of those that we didn't end up getting married, but we have a lot of love for both Robert and Lori and have done work for them and they remained great resources to us. And our whole experience on the show is positive and, and wonderful. And I joke that it's the gift that keeps on giving because about every, I'll call it six to eight weeks, our episode actually re-airs on CNBC during those Shark Tank marathons, if you've ever been flipping through the channels. So I would say probably every, probably every eight weeks or so, I get a text or a Facebook message or an Instagram DM of a friend who's on a plane or in the gym or at their work passing a TV and all of a sudden they're taking a picture and they're like, look, it's your, it's your big face. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a fun thing. And, you know, that episode aired in 2015, which is nuts. So, you know, even four years later, the episode is still airing and people are still seeing it for the first time. So it's a, it's an awesome, I'm really glad that we did it, even though, embarrassingly i didn't i didn't know what the show was but but now i know what it is so that's fine yeah that's okay i mean and, and i'm curious 
was there anything again especially if you're in the tank for an hour and, and you know i know they're peppering with a ton of different questions was there something you learned that obviously got out of that to help you guys with your business going forward was there a certain question that was asked where maybe you didn't know the answer or that you're like oh that's interesting i'm just curious if there's anything that that you guys took away from that experience from from a business standpoint yeah i mean i think for us it was just a great way to continue to build our skills of thinking quick under pressure you know, that's something that all entrepreneurs are constantly getting better at, whether you're out there raising funds, whether you're out there launching your product, whether you're, um, you know, on Shark Tank, you're having to think on your feet and think in really high stress situations. So I think it was just really great practice for us to continue to build that skill. And honestly, I'm still building that skill. You know, I think it's one of those things that I am constantly still learning, even after eight and a half years of entrepreneurship. You know, by no by no means do I think I have it all figured out. By no means do I think I'm an expert. I'm still constantly learning about how to become a better entrepreneur and a better leader and a better boss. All of those all of those different traits I think are you just have to constantly keep trying your best. And with uh, from from Zenepack to the super fan company, obviously, is now what you guys are doing. It, and was that a, is that a, a total company change? I, and I'm just something I'm asking just because I'm I guess maybe I didn't see that online. Is it a total company change? Is it just transition? You've added on different stuff going from Zenepack to super fan company. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, we again, <laughs> I joke I was 25 when we started the company. And so there are a million things that I would do differently. Uh, but everything happens for a reason. And Brittany and I had made the decision that we were going to call our company the same thing as our product, the piece to your point that we had been selling in Walmart and whatnot. So again, very much like Kleenex. Uh, Kleenex actually makes more than Kleenex boxes. They have hand sanitizer and paper towels and all this stuff. But, you know, now people, they don't call it a tissue box. They don't say pass the tissues. They'll say pass the Kleenex. Or can you throw me that Kleenex box? Technically, it's a tissue box, but because they named their company Kleenex, and then they came out with Kleenex, that was sort of us. We had named our company Zine Pack, and we were calling our product Zine Pack. So what slowly started to happen, and again, as different formats changed, and I always like to remind people when we started the company in 2011, you know, there was no such thing as Instagram, no such thing as Snapchat or TikTok. Twitter was just becoming something that people used. Spotify was not in the U.S. yet. You know, we were, the entertainment space looked very, very different. And so while we started the company working heavily in retail and heavily in CDs, obviously here we are in 2019, nobody buys CDs anymore or very few people buy CDs. And very few people even really go to retail a lot of people are retail, obviously, it's no surprise, is having a huge struggle because of Amazon Prime and the rise in online shopping and, you know, traditional retail has drastically changed as well. And so what we were seeing is we started to do less and less of the traditional Zine Pack product and really just felt like the name was representing something that we weren't doing anymore. And it was a format that we weren't working in. And what we were really doing is creating these marketing programs and products and experiences that at the heart of hearts engage super fans. And even when we were in Zine Pack, we were engaging those super fans and just really felt that this 
branding and this representation of our business just fit what we were doing so much better. And so I've I've been really excited as we've rolled out, you know, the super fan company and rebranded and recategorized the things we've been working on because I think it's a much better fit for what we've been doing. What are you all excited about over the next six months, year um, with the super fan company? I think just excited to keep growing into new arenas and new verticals. You know, we have a great partnership over the last uh, about a year and a half, two years with Comic-Con. We, we love those guys, AC Universe. They're an amazing company started by two brothers, Garib and Stephen Seamus. So that's been a fun adventure for us to get into the comic space because obviously that is something that has a ton of super fans and is, you know, so hot right now with the Marvel films and Endgame and I can't wait for the next Black Panther. And so that's having quite a moment. So that's been really fun to be involved with. And again, just expanding our client base into, you know, we had our first drag queen client this year. That's pretty awesome. Uh, so as we just further branch outside of music and get into all these other nooks and crannies that continue to surprise and delight super fans. So let's end on this. I can talk to you for like five hours and, and really find <laughs> a lot of stuff, but I know you got, you got to go, you have stuff to go to do as well. Um, so let's end on this. Cause obviously a lot of folks know you online with you know, coffee with Kim. And I saw you just, uh, just, you just posted an episode. You, you're back, you're back doing it or at least. In, in, you know. <laughs> um, so I would like to end on this. I always like to kind of, kind of open the floor almost to maybe it's a piece of advice or maybe it's a quote you live by anything of that nature. I, sometimes I like to say, you know, if you're the guidance counselor for a day, what <laughs> advice are you giving the most to people? And you can take it from a coffee with Kim approach or it can be just in general um, that you've done, but what would you kind of leave the audience on? Maybe something to, to think about as they go forward. I would say that I feel like the piece of advice that I'm giving the, the most is really how are you continuing to make yourself better? Um, I, I alluded to earlier that I don't watch a ton of TV. It was just talking to my friend about this the other day because he had uh, binge watched all of the new Stranger Things. And not only have I not binge watched it, you know, I've never watched Stranger Things. And that's not to knock on people that binge watch things. That's awesome if that's your release you know, you do you, I'm, I'm definitely not here to judge. But whether it's listening to a podcast like this one, or it's reading a book or listening to a book on Audible, or it's signing up for a local night class or adult learning class, or maybe an online class on LinkedIn Learning, for example, you know, there's tons of ways that you continue to make yourself a better version of you. And so I think that that's really important because as you develop, whether you're an entrepreneur or you work in corporate, you know, you're always going to want to be striving for new responsibilities or to get that promotion or to get that raise. And I joke all the time that when you're constantly learning and constantly preparing, you're not preparing for the world you're in right now. It's kind of like going into battle. When you're a warrior and you're preparing every day, you're not preparing for you know, that day, you're preparing for the war that's to come or, or the battle that's, you know, 10 months away or five months away and or, or like a boxer, you know, you're preparing for the big fight. And so I tell people that even if you think, oh, well, I don't plan on getting a, 
promotion or I don't plan on doing this. You know, I'm the perfect example. I didn't plan on becoming an entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, I had no intention of it. But luckily, you know, by probably sheer accident, I had been doing things without even realizing it to help prepare me for that moment and to prepare me for to be able to make that jump. And so I think that's what's really important is, you know, you never know when that next opportunity is going to come. You never know when your accidental promotion or accidental new job offer or accidental entrepreneurship offer is going to come. So be ready for it because it might. It might come out of nowhere, but it doesn't mean that it's not coming. No, that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. And by the way, if I were you, do not watch one episode of Stranger Things because I'm, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I don't watch a ton of TV, almost never. But someone said, oh, Brian, you should check it out. I said, fine, I'll watch one episode I did last week. Let's just say I've watched several episodes because it is very <laughs> addicting. So anyways, just a tip there for you in the, the audience if you haven't seen it because you will you will get hooked. Um, no, it's great. And listen, I tell people all the time, like, I'm definitely not on my high horse when I take airline rides or anything like that. That's sort of my time when I'm flying to Florida to see my family or to LA for work. You know, that's when I get all of my, my movies in and <laughs> my TV shows in, you know, I definitely, I definitely splurge on entertainment. Just, uh, it's not like an every night sort of thing. I got you. When you when you do watch it though, because you probably will at some point, let's do a coffee with Kim on Stranger Things. I love yes, your, I love your thoughts on it. So. Kim, thank I you so much. Of it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on. This was this was just tremendous. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story and uh, hope to stay connected with you going forward. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you. Hey everyone, I hope you got a lot of value out of that episode. And just one more quick thing before you run along on your day: if you haven't been enjoying these interviews and these shows. Um, I really appreciate it if you head over to iTunes, give me a rating, leave me a review, let me know how I'm doing. Um, it's the only way I can make this podcast better each and every episode. Um, and connect with me online, um, at Brian Andreco or at Just Get Started Podcast on Instagram, or check out my website, BrianAndreco.com. Um, that's where I house the podcast, my blog articles. Um, I even have a now page to update everyone in the last couple months of what's been going on in my life. Um, at worst, it's for my mom, so she can keep tabs on me and make sure I'm okay. Uh, but I've really enjoyed the feedback so far. This has been phenomenal. Um, what's been accomplished so far with this podcast and all the great guests I've had and really excited for the trajectory going forward. And really, the gratitude goes to you guys for listening, for chiming in, for giving me feedback, um, and for keep listening, keep pressing play. Um, obviously, you guys are getting some value out of this. So I'm so grateful for just the opportunity um, to share these messages with you. Um, so I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.